Welcome to My Therapist is Out, an open space therapy collective podcast. We are your hub for queer and trans mental health care. Each episode, we'll speak with one of our therapists or collective members and chat about a mental health topic using a queer lens. And I am your host, Renee Johnson, licensed professional clinical counselor, art therapist, and founder of Open Space Therapy Collective. Today, we're chatting with Debbie White. Debbie White is an art therapist and has practiced in New York and California. Debbie specializes in working with teens and parents who want to support them. As we dive into today's topic, please keep in mind that this is a mental health podcast and we will talk about sensitive issues. If you would like to be informed of any trigger warnings, please read the podcast description. Uh, hi, welcome to your your therapist out, my therapist out. Yeah. Wrong thing. Try mm-hmm. again. Okay. <laughs> hi, welcome to my therapist is out an open space therapy collective podcast. Uh, I'm Renee, and today we have our therapist Debbie White with us, and we are going to talk about when your identity is deemed unprofessional, how do you protect your mental health? Mm-hmm. This is going to be a heavy one. Um, yeah, but you know how we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so, so let's dive in. <laughs> What, let's maybe set the stage. Okay. What are some scenarios that marginalized people have been told, get told, that they're being unprofessional just because of their identity? Um, hmm. How we dress. Mm -hmm. Uh, How we wear our hair. Mm -hmm. If we choose to wear makeup or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I once worked at a place a law firm before I became a therapist, way back when, early 20s, even though that was yesterday, uh, where I was told that we had to wear skirts mm-hmm. at law firms. All the secretaries had to wear a skirt. Mm-hmm. It'd be like 15 degrees in New York City. They still expected us to wear a skirt. So I used to wear sweatpants and then just pull them up and have this skirt that I was at my desk that was a dummy skirt didn't matter if I matched or not, but I was not gonna come to work and call. So I always found it interesting because that was just so blatant. And of course, this is before sexual harassment and any kind of protection in the workforce for a patriotic BS like that. Um, but yeah, how we dress, especially if you identify as a woman um, or you sex assigned as a woman, depending on where you work, because I don't see this with anyone who uh, appears to be male, right? You, you never, other than have a shirt and tie, you know, they're not told that they have to wear a jacket or anything like that. Um, but they also deal with the hair thing too, mm-hmm. right? We often hear uh, military style haircuts, which means guys can't have their hair past, uh, the, just below their ear. Mm-hmm. Um, then with women, it's it has to be European acceptable. Mm-hmm. So a lot of black women tend to relax their hair because a lot of workforces didn't allow you to wear cornrows or have locks um, or wear an afro. Mm-hmm. And But then there are some corporations where I used to have locks and it was seen as acceptable, but a male, black male, was told in the marketing department he had to cut his locks. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they pit you against each other too. They, it's just really random. 
And it all depends, I feel, on who your supervisor is, what corporation you end up working at, or the place that you decide to work at. There's some places that don't allow tattoos. Mm -hmm. They don't allow more than one piercings. They, you know, um, and different types of piercing they wouldn't accept. Um, so it's like research that before you go to work there is yeah. what I always say. There's also the like the trans and non-binary piece of this too, right? Yeah. Like if you're um, don't identify as the gender you're assigned at birth or you're gender fluid or mm -hmm. whatever, and you let's say you're an AFAB person and um, but are a mask person identify as a mask person and show up in that way, that can be seen inappropriate and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, Disney Corporation office in New York City, I was shocked. They actually say, you have to wear your natural hair color. Like, you can come in there with red or pink hair or blue hair at all. It has to be the color that you were supposedly born with. Um, and I was shocked for Disney because I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is Disney. But they literally had some very conservative dress codes. Um, I don't know if it's changed. This was the late 80s, early 90s when I found this out. So clearly it was in a place that I wanted to work at. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that does pose a, an issue. Like um, I know there's been cases of trans men and trans women have to go into HR to get permission to dress in the role that they identify in. And then they sometimes ask them for signage from a doctor, which to me is like personal. Why you like, why do I have to do that? Someone who's het doesn't, hetero doesn't have to go in and ask permission to how they want to dress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's still a lot of biases with that, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I worked at a hospital not too many years ago mm -hmm. and I had to have uh, my natural hair color and I had to cover all of my tattoos mm -hmm. and like thankfully most of mine are under clothes mm -hmm. anyway but like I would have to go in with a bandage around my arm every day and like there's a reason your doctors look the way they do that's not who they are that's who they have to be mm -hmm. when they go in which just creates more of a disconnect between them and the yeah, and especially as therapists, I always thought that was ridiculous. I worked at an uh, inpatient psych as well, and they literally told me I had to cover this tattoo. And the days that I, I took a sock and cut <laughs> the end off, someone gave me that idea. So I got to be stylish and fashionable with it, not look like I got a wound, right? So the days that I would forget to put the sock on were the days that the clients didn't, the patients didn't even notice my tattoo but the day I rolled in with the what happened mm -hmm. why 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 you were in that and then one patient was like well I would want my therapist to represent who we are mm -hmm. I have tattoos I want to know you have tattoos mm -hmm. and it was just like they don't get it that if you're in a service position and you're servicing others they want to connect with you mm -hmm. by how you look as well they don't want a robot yeah. and some you know can you imagine how uncomfortable? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't be my artsy self. <laughs> Even as an art therapist, I still have to be like, okay, I gotta cover that tattoo. I can't wear jewelry, you know, like I gotta make sure long sleeves. Don't forget, I used to wear leggings throughout the summer. Can't wear a skirt because I have a huge tattoo on my leg. 
I want to bring attention to that. And it's just like I wasn't myself. When I moved here to California from New York, that was one of the things I looked forward to is working in a place where I could be a full art therapist and have colored hair and, and all that. And then I was shocked when I came to that place. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not there anymore. So, <laughs> And it's, you know, when you, like, take it two steps out and look at it, a lot of these things that are deemed unprofessional are things that are natural to people's culture, mm -hmm. whether that's um, black people or indigenous people or mm -hmm. other BIPOC mm -hmm. communities, or it's general queer representation in the way that people dress themselves. Yeah, I believe the, is it the Samoans uh, have like a tattoo on their face? Or is it Polynesian? I'm not sure which community this is, but I know that there was a woman that was discriminated because she had a visible tattoo on her face that was uh, to her culture, and she was told to cover it up with makeup. Wow. And it was a spiritual thing. And I was just like, um, I've never seen someone who identifies as Hasidic mm -hmm. be told that they have to cut their hair mm -hmm. because that hair that they wear on the side is representative to their culture and their religion. Um, it's just, you know, braids have always been part of a black culture. Uh, the history behind black women in particular wearing braids is, they, it dates even far back as um, slavery, even before then, where if you're traveling, they would braid in um, rice grains in your hair so that you had food, it's a way of carrying, yeah, you have like a way to nourish yourself as you're traveling. It's a survival thing, it, there's, there's, um, it's a protective, uh, and it's also geared to um, spiritual connections. Um, so a lot of our hairstyles has meaning. Um, and so that brings me to this little PSA, never touch a black woman's hair, ask permission first, okay. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hope people you know, oh, know no, that, that by now. No, and it's no. amazing that they don't. People still want to touch my hair. They're fascinated with my curls. Uh, I've often gotten, is that all yours? Yeah, yeah, it's mm -hmm. mine. Well, how come it's curly really short one day, but then it's straight and because I combed it out or I let the curls, you know, it's kind of like I get the fascination. That's just my hair. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyway, I digress. Back to working in the professional setting, I feel like it's mainly what is deemed professional versus what's not professional is based on whose business it is. Mm. That's really what it comes down mm -hmm. to it. Um, the kid's a person who owns the business, sets up their HR, and they set the policies. Mm. What about, and our amazing marketing communications coordinator brought this up earlier, mm -hmm. um, but what about in school too? Because, or in the, the, like the residential programs with kids, mm -hmm. like it shows up there a lot. Yes, um, mainly in schools that the majority of the population is one versus the other. So when you have a few black kids in a predominantly white school, what they don't realize is they have what is called the like me syndrome. They can only identify with what they see in themselves. If you don't know about black hair or black culture, you cannot relate. It's hard for you to 
perplexed on that because it seems so foreign because um, I don't understand because as a white person, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, as a white person, I only can wear my hair straight. My hair's not curly. I'd have to perm my hair to get it curly. How is it you can have your hair curly one moment, straight the next moment, in, you know, it's like they don't understand the variety of styles that we can do. And so it's just easier to be like, oh, it's a distraction because my kids can't pay attention in school. When the reality is kids aren't interacting with one another like that. So I feel like a lot of adults put their ish on kids when it comes to dress codes in here. And then I'll also on the flip side, let's forget about like just black kids with their hair versus white kids and or other kids that don't have the same type of hair. The one other thing that they do is uh, discriminate with girls wearing spaghetti strap tees or crop shirts like, uh, they sell them in the stores, especially for back to school. Trust the parents are dress, you know, dressing their kids according to how they like. But no, I've seen kids literally protest against the principals because they were told uh, girls can't wear, they have a long list of things that the girls can't wear, but boys can wear whatever. At a really young age, too. Yeah. 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 Very, young age. very young age. There are, you can look on the internet right now, there are videos of parents being called for like their third or fourth grader mm-hmm. having their shoulders exposed. Yeah, I, I experienced it. Uh, my son, who was in high school out here, actually joined in the protest with the girls because he's like, that's not fair. It's 90 degrees. You want them to wear a long sleeve shirt in 90 degree weather? It's ridiculous. And there's wearing spaghetti straps, it's nothing wrong with it. They're covered. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole concept of you can't wear certain clothing because I can't control my eyes. The f- yeah. I yeah. almost it's said it. <laughs> no, like who's coming up with these rules? It's right. wild, and it's it's sick. Yeah. yeah, because it's the adults that parents are entrusting their kids with that mm-hmm. are sexualizing the kid. Yeah, and I often find having had a kid in school out here and in New York, I often find that sometimes it's a small percentage of parents who feel the certain way and will pressure the principals um, or they align with the thinking of the principal and they, they will back them. Because a principal or a school administration sometimes doesn't necessarily have the power to enforce this stuff unless they have some parents that are backing them. So it's like politics and I just really get sick of it because it's like, Ugh, can the kids just go to school, learn and play and get along with one another? You adults need therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, and, it sh- yeah. <laughs> and it shows, too, like we just had, it was just prom season. And mm-hmm. all of these queer kids weren't allowed to go to their own prom because they weren't wearing the like prom-appropriate gendered mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the graduation. Yeah. And, and then they go, well... We're not just telling queer kids they can't dress up for graduation how they want. We're telling straight kids they can't decorate their caps. They can't wear what they want. It's like their graduation. They have a cap and gown on. What do you care what's underneath? Mm -hmm. Like, seriously, I'm sorry. Back when I was going to school, kids used to wear, they were so over and ready for graduation from high school. A lot of people were wearing shorts and a t-shirt under the cap and gown (laughs) just because they just want, like, after this, Mm -hmm. I'm leaving, you know, Mm -hmm. like, seriously, it's just gotten to be really ridiculous. And I think we're just raising a generation of really rigid thinking folks. Mm -hmm. 
versus those who are encouraged to be free thinking and open. Yeah. And when do we stop the divide? So it goes beyond the whole professional dress. It seeps into just our belief system. Mm -hmm. Wow, this really is a heavy topic today because yeah, yeah it seeps into our belief system. Yeah. Especially when it's happening at third grade and in high school. And yeah. like, I know that even though I'm now in my 40s, there's that level of like <gasps> conservative pressure. <laughs> that level of conservative pressure that I had growing up is still like a worm in my head that will pop up every once in a while mm -hmm. when I'm like deciding on what to wear or how to do my hair or whatever. And it's just like, how is this 20, 30 years later still there? Yeah. And also, I know I agree. It pops up for me because I come from the generation of you don't dress that way. And so I catch myself, if I even remotely catch myself looking at someone's outfit and about to be like, mm, no dear, that should, I can immediately stop myself and just like, you know what, that's really a cool outfit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Causing a reaction. Yeah, you have to, it's yeah. like deep, you have to be aware of your ish mm -hmm. in order to make changes. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I'm committed to do. I don't normally tell everyone that that's uh, a struggle for me no longer but it used to be mm -hmm. because it used to like we were raised in a generation where women would just overly criticize other women mm -hmm. based on what they were wearing mm -hmm. whether they thought they were the size to wear that outfit or not oh that's a great point we haven't even talked about like weight being deemed unprofessional yes oh did you know there was a study in the early 90s that actually pointed out that people who were overweight did not get promoted mm. because they were deemed unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Lazy, unmotivated, their uh -huh. productivity's yep. terrible. They yep. must not be that smart. Yep. Like it, mm -hmm. Which is just like... Mind-boggling. It's gross. It's gross. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, but it happens all of the time. There's a great um, podcast called Maintenance Phase mm -hmm. that talks um, a lot about this type of stuff mm -hmm. and just the level of... Um, Bodyism, that's not it, but uh, discrimination against yeah. like weight and bodies is yeah. so ingrained, mm -hmm. um, and people are disguised as, oh, well, we just want you to be healthy. Yeah, like, no. that's why I'm a big fan of Lizzo. Lizzo came out and said, just because I'm a big girl doesn't mean I'm not healthy. Mm -hmm. And bravo, mm -hmm. she shows that she does eat healthy, she works out. She's a big girl. She's still doing her business, doing her music. She's not going to conform to what society says she should look like. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, what happens? Beyonce mm -hmm. is thin, mm -hmm. has a kid, put on a few weight. What do they spend time talking mm -hmm. about? Oh my gosh, how much weight does she put on? Mm -hmm. It's always about a criticism. And this is what our young girls and boys and non-binary kids are growing up witnessing mm -hmm. and it's like when does it become enough does we have to do we have to continue this cycle of this bs till we get to our 20s 30s 40s and we have an epiphany and start breaking the cycle but then it continues for the next generation so i'm a fan of like i would like to break all cycles like generational great. trauma yeah and that's why I'm with OSTC because my, my vision, I agree with you, is like people need to treat people like humans. And if we can start with one person at a time, it will filter out. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, I use my powers for good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Lizzo is like a huge sex icon, right? Like she's done an excellent job of not just like, see, I'm healthy, it's okay. It's like, see, I'm a badass person and a full human, and I am. This is the size my body is and wants to be. So. And she's smart. Yes. I loved when a lot of the conservative folks lost their mind when she was invited to play some amazing flute in the, you know, Washington, D.C., whatever, Smithsonian, right? And then they learned that she is a professional flutist. Like, what? She's amazing. Anyway, this is not a little puzzle, but we should invite her to come talk with us because this would be great. No, but seriously, back to being professional, like, um, there was one thing I wanted to mention on here. Um, Oh, what should someone do if they're being discriminated against at work? So here's something I learned from someone and I pass it on. Keep a journal. Keep a journal of what your day is like without being emotional. It, you know, like you keep the date, the time. My interaction with Renee today uh, is the usual as it goes. She may be passive aggressive towards me, make a comment in a meeting. You know, you, you want to just list the incident that happened without being emotional. Because here's the thing, you could take that journal to a lawyer. They can determine if you have a discrimination lawsuit or not. And journals are admissible. So Yeah, and you want to not do it on your company no. computer. You want it to Good be old fashioned paper yeah. paper and pen. Get a little notebook. Phone. Or on your phone. Um, your phone is great. You have notes. Mm-hmm. But I back then it was a notebook <laughs> for me because we didn't have these cool apps yet. Um, and also keep in mind that HR is not there for you. Yeah. HR is there for the employer and to make sure you don't sue. Mm-hmm. So they're not your friends. No. No, which is always sad for people in HR when they realize that they're that's kind of their role a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And they will try to say, no, I try to be objective. Yeah, no, no. Um, There's also Workers' Compensation Board that you can always call and find out what your rights are. Um, Know the laws in your state. Uh, But definitely the journaling was the most best advice I ever got because by the time I was like, at one job I was ready to go and I sat down with the mediator, their HR, and... I, I represented myself and I literally just pulled out my journal and I was like, yeah, this happened five times. The same thing that keeps happening in, in a month. And it was, I forgot what it was, but anyway, they totally backed off. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave my two weeks notice and they gave me my severance pay and we had no issues because they realized I had a lawsuit. I was ready to take it there, but I just wanted my severance pay that was owed to me. And then um, pretty much that's what I did. Yeah. So that's a good advice I got from someone. Yeah, that's great advice. And like writing down everything, mm-hmm. like even if it seems small or you're not quite sure, just write it down. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff adds up. Like mm-hmm. this kind of discrimination can be like death of a thousand paper cuts. 
Yes. And you want to track all of them. Yeah, I think one of them was they said I'm always late. So I would write down, oh, I was five minutes late today or I was 10 minutes late, gave the reason why. And I also wrote down my coworkers who were like an hour late or a half hour late and nothing was ever said to them. Mm -hmm. So they were like, whoa, yep. yeah, can't have different roles for different people. Yeah. Um, and I know that the LGBT Center offers free consultations for discrimination cases like this. Mm -hmm. And so if, if this is happening, they're a great resource um, to just call and be like, hey, I think this might be a thing. Can you take a look at my journal? Yeah, and I think the a, uh, it's the AS, uh, ACLU, yeah. I think they sometimes will either have a company they already know has issues, it wouldn't hurt to check with them too. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Also, Google Class Act lawsuits. Sometimes you never know um, if your job is being sued because they did wrong by the employees. Mm -hmm. Like one job I worked at, the care staff, they had them working overtime and didn't fully pay them their overtime. And there was a Class Act lawsuit. Let's just say at least 35 people got a grand each. That's how big their class act losses. So you never know. What about protecting your own mental health while this process? Because journaling and getting all the evidence and putting that together and dealing with this is really tough, and it takes it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So how do you take care of your own mental health while this is happening? For me, it's being proactive on my vacation time, mm -hmm. taking time away from the office. Um, it's something to look forward to. If I know that whether it's every three months I have a long weekend I can plan or if twice a year I have that long vacation, um, that's something to look forward to. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I've always ended my day with music. So something that makes you feel good. Um, hanging out with friends, having people you can vent to. Um, lately it's been we send memes. <laughs> And videos, yeah. like just to be like, find the sarcasm of work and the absurdity of the BS that you have to deal with. But in the long run, if it gets to a point where you are struggling to get out of bed, to go to work, I think those are all signs that you might need to like really think about, is this a place for you? Um, no one likes to look for work, but it might mean that's what you need to do. Um, um, I always subscribe to my mom's phrase, peace of mind pays more. Mm -hmm. And so I I know I'm hireable and I'm willing to work different jobs. So if this place isn't um, doing me well mentally, it's time for me to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't have to stick around mm -mm. just because there's a case to be made. It's not mm -mm. your role or responsibility to make that emotional I mean, yes, sometimes you just have to chalk it up to, hey, this place was dysfunctional and toxic before I got here, and it will be after I leave here. Why am I going to sacrifice my mental wellness to make them do something that clearly they've gotten away with? Sometimes you just have to make that decision of, it's uh, I need to protect me. I'm not a martyr for all these other people who've been working here and haven't done anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, which can be really hard when if there's a group of people that you're working with that you like mm-hmm. that are also experiencing it but have gotten stuck yeah. in that in that role and in that dynamic. It's not your responsibility so to fix the issue for everyone else. Unless you decide to be an activist and if that's your calling, then by all means figure out how you can do that. But if it means like protecting your own mental health, preserving your own energy, uh it's nothing wrong with walking away. Mm-mm. Quitting is always a great option. Quitting is not quitting. It's called survival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are situations where, like, you, sometimes you can't leave. You know, if it's a financial need or you're having oh, a hard yeah. time finding another job or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, having some, hopefully you can find at least one ally at work that you can talk to about it and, like, and help validate what's happening because this also goes in with like a lot of gaslighting. Yeah. It can get really confusing. Yeah. And and I don't mean to make this the Debbie show of examples, but I had that experience when I moved here. You know, I literally had this one coworker that was, well, I had two. They were super supportive. And I remember there were days where I would cry in my car before I had to go in because I didn't want to be there because it was so toxic. But I do love what I do, and I had put all of it as I really enjoy the patients. Mm-hmm. Yes, the coworkers, a lot of them are toxic, but you're really here for the patients, not them. And like I said, I found different ways. But yes, it does help to have a coworker or two that they can relate and we support each other, and we all eventually left. Um, so it was good that we, um, it wasn't people that were complacent or stuck. It was, hey, I'm in the same boat too, but I have to make calculated risks because either one kid is in college, one is about to go to college, or I have a sick mom, I, I'm her caretaker, and this job, I've been here for so long that they do work with my schedule. Like, I get that. I was there to get my hours. So we all had a reasons to stick it out. But in a moment, we had a moment where we could leave. Adios, amigo. So, yeah. Um, let's talk about the Crown Act, which stands for, and I need to read this, mm-hmm. uh, creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic and has not been around for super long. Uh, no, and it is it is fantastic in California. Excuse me. Let's try that again. It is fantastic. And California is one of the first states, um, thanks to our amazing marketing person giving us that info, to adopt this. Um, it's great. It's not perfect. No. It, it's kind of sickening to know that we have to have this yeah. for people to feel free to wear their hair the way they want to. However, I do know that they have beauty schools that still resist in having their beauticians learn natural hair. I wish that was surprising. Yeah. It, it's I mean, amazing how, I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how ingrained this is mm-hmm. and how it continues just to show up all over the place. And it always is linked to human belief systems. So if I own a beauty school and I'm not black and I don't know anything about black hair, 
So I'm gonna continue to teach my curriculum, as this person said when they got caught on a hidden camera. I'm gonna teach my curriculum. How dare you come in and try to change my curriculum? She didn't even wanna to learn to add to her curriculum. She just wanted, she said she's not gonna change her curriculum unless she's forced to. So yes, we have the Crown Act, but you still have some businesses can, they're not going to change their policy unless they're outed and forced to. Yeah. So, yeah. But there are, just to end on a somewhat positive note, there are a lot of companies out there um, that won't do this, that will let you show up with natural hair and pink hair and tattoos. And Absolutely. Like I said, it's all about you doing your research and figuring out where you want to be. Because if you feel like, oh, I can never work in a place that is so rigid in their belief system or too tight with mm -hmm. rules, then that's not the place for me. You want to find a job that meets, that has a certain culture that you can work with, right? So yes, I'm not going to dog the Crown Act. I love the fact that it's here. It's sad that it took how many years for it to get here, but it's here. So now this protects kids in schools mm -hmm. that um, parents can now push back on. Um, and they, and I think it was primarily started because of two young ladies, I think in Philadelphia, the sisters, that were told they couldn't wear their hair in braids. Mm -hmm. So there, it started from an incident there and uh, another kid in Jersey, wrestler, who literally, they cut his locks before he could wrestle, which is so, like he did it because he represents his school and his team but you can see on his face how that was just hurt in his soul. So yes, I am a lover of the Crown Act and I feel like it'll get to a point where it'll be a minimum of places that don't do it and they'll eventually change because the majority rules, love rules, mm -hmm. and humankind is going to prevail over haters. Yeah. 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 This haters is a, gotta go. They gotta go. There's no room for that. We need love. Well, love and acceptance. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is this is a heavy and tough topic, but I it really is. appreciate you. We'll probably touch upon it again because I'm sure there'll be something that'll come up that will mention it. But a belief system, it all goes back to that, right? Yeah. 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 Which maybe we should have a whole podcast about beliefs. Mm. It's a series. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'd love to hear if you've had any experiences uh, with this at your workplace or in your school. Um, if you have any questions about what would qualify as under discriminations or you want to reach out for help, please reach out to us. You can find us on all of the social medias at Open Space Therapy Collective um, and always email us at info at openspacetherapycollective.com. Cheers. And let us know if you are okay with us sharing your story because we would love to make this like a norm conversation and so people know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. So, great. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Leave a comment below or email us at communications at Open Space Therapy Collective. You can follow us on all of the social medias. And if you're in California looking for a therapist, visit our website at openspacetherapycollective.com and book a free intro call with one of our therapists to see if we are the right fit for you. My Therapist is Out is an Open Space Therapy Collective podcast. 
Our therapists are Kristen Crow, Debbie White, and Renee Johnson. Clinical consultant, Jenny Nigro. Communications coordinator, Riley Andreessen. Marketing consultant, M. Issa Messaging. Administrative assistant, Mirza Ruelas. And our podcast editing is done by Smash and Grab Studio.